Thanks, Rob. Morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you, and it's my joy to continue in our series on 1 and 2 Corinthians that we're going through this year. You know, there's been some really hard-hitting uh, subjects, hasn't there? Theologically, emotionally, mentally, culturally, and today is going to be no different. So there's no, no let-up in the book of Corinthians as we consider 2 Corinthians 7, and I'm going to be looking at making room in your heart for godly grief. So a uh, cheery subject this morning, but it is, it is for our good. So let's uh, dive straight into the text, shall we? We're actually going to start reading uh, from chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 11 and 13 from there, and then jump to verse 2 of uh, chapter 7. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, if you want to open them and leave them open during the preach as well, so you can I'll refer back to them, but otherwise it will appear on the screen behind me. It says this. Let's move this this way. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. And jump into verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you were in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with, com with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn. Just listen to some of the emotional language in this passage that Paul is writing. Allow the Holy Spirit just to convict you as I, I continue. Fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss." Through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides, our comfort, our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit 
has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said about you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. And today, I want to look at with you guys how we're called to make room in our hearts for God. And in order to do that, this side of eternity, we also have to make room in our hearts for godly grief. So to begin with, making room in our hearts for God. Do you know, each year when the Fry family go on holiday, we play this little game together. It's not a unique game to my family. It's played throughout the land, up and down the country. And I'm sure uh, many mums get a little bit of pleasure out of watching their husbands play this game. It is the game of Car Tetris. How many things can you squeeze into the tiny space of your car? And I think actually you ladies get a little bit of pleasure out of this sometimes, where you see us struggling away to get it all into the boot, and you shut the boot close, and then you say, oh, I've just got another little bag to fit in there. Do you know, one year when uh, I was traveling with my family, and the kids were all packed in there like sardines with luggage all around them, I made the mistake of stopping at a small town. I thought, what could a small town do? No, no, no problem here. Well, there was a charity shop in the small town. And lo and behold, 10 minutes later, I kid you not, Anna comes back with a bookshelf and says, oh, don't worry, it was such a bargain. I had to get it. Look how lovely it is. I'm just thinking, where on earth am I going to fit that? Shelf? Oh, don't worry, I'll have it on my lap. You don't need the, steer, the uh, gear stick, do you? <sighs> so... Uh, I, I drove a little way with her on a lap like this, uh, uh, just get out of the town so I didn't have to be so embarrassed, and then unloaded the car and reloaded it with a bookshelf in there as well. Anyway, unlike my car or your car, your heart actually does have some room to grow, and it will grow. However, there are many things that if you allow them to occupy space, in your heart, it is at the expense of something else. So the Bible makes it clear that if you allow, for example, love for money or for things of this world to reside in your heart, it happens at the expense of love for God. If you allow things like bitterness and hatred to reside in your heart, it happens at the expense of love and kindness. And actually only one thing can have center stage in your heart. For some people, that's themselves, and that's evident by the, how they live their life. For others, it's their family, their kids in particular. And again, that manifests in the decisions that they make. For some people, it may be their career, or it may even be their nation for some people, and national pride. And again, it impacts. The rest of their life can happen, and other things can happen in their life, as long as it doesn't impinge upon the sacred space given to what is first place in their heart. And my friends, Jesus is very clear, isn't he, in his word, that that first place in your heart 
belongs to him and to him alone. And actually, that has been mankind since uh, problems, since early days, that God is not first in our heart. And we're born this way. That's why we naturally rebel against our creator. And that's why the world is in the mess that it is in, as we see all around us. And that's why actually every one of us needs Jesus Christ. Because he was the only one who came to earth to do his Father's will. Perfectly lived a life, demonstrating what it is like to have a life where God is at the center of your life, living for him. And he died on that cross, chose to die on it, not for his own sin, because he had no sin, but for the things that you and I have done, have said, have thought that are wrong, that offends God, that hurts other people around us and damages his good creation. And because God accepted Christ's wonderful sacrifice for us on our behalf, he, uh, and also because death had no hold on Jesus because he had no sin, Jesus rose again victorious from the grave as a sign to all of those who have put their faith in him that we too will rise again victoriously. In fact, my, my little Sam just said that to me this morning as we were singing that first song. He just said, oh, so Dad, Jesus rising again from the grave is kind of a picture to us that when we put our faith in him, we'll rise again. It's like, yeah, that's great, Sam. Well, well done. Uh, and that's true. And if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you need to hear that because when when you accept that and you surrender your life to Jesus, he then puts his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit comes and he lives inside of you and transforms you and begins to help you put Jesus at the center of your life. And you know God's forgiveness. And if you're here today or if you're watching online and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, and I just encourage you just to pray a prayer with me now, just uh, pray it in your own heart. God knows what you're thinking. Just pray it before him. It's between you and God. Just say, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for where I have not put you first in my life. And I've gone astray. I've gone doing my own things. Please forgive me of all that I have done that offends you. And help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to live the rest of my life for you putting you first in my life. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're in the building and you prayed that, please come and see me afterwards. I'd love to give you this and talk to you a bit more about what you have just done. If you're watching online, please contact the office and we'd love to get in touch with you and help you as you begin your Christian journey. You see, what the Holy Spirit does, if you've just prayed that, or actually, in fact, what all of us is still doing that, if you're a Christian in the room, is he is trying to work on your heart every day, day in, day out, putting it right, chucking out the rubbish that gets put in there, the things that aren't of God. And uh, he's trying to make room in your heart for God so that your heart can be focused on God. And actually, one of the biggest indicators that your heart is for God is how much you make room in your heart for the people of God, grounded in the reality of a local church, 
a church like Corinth that we've just read about, or a church like Christchurch here. Do you know the Apostle John, in his letter, his first letter, says this, and it's in the context of talking about the church. Let us love one another, that's the church, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. For he who does not love his brother or sister, fellow Christian, it's talking about in the context, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. In our passage in, in 2 Corinthians, can you see Paul's language and his use there, how, how he is utterly devoted to the Corinthians, how he loves them, how he finds joy in them, how he has concern and care for them. He says things like, you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I have great pride in you, Corinthians. He finds his comfort in them despite affliction that he is facing. He is overflowing with joy with them, verses 3 and 4. Make it clear to us. He's consumed with, he's consumed with concern for them, verses 5 to 7. He places his trust and his confidence in them. So his emotional wellness is actually linked to how the church in Corinth is doing, verse 13 to 16 makes clear. Hence, when he's unsure of their love, he's actually racked with fear within, verse 5 would reveal. My friends, does that describe you? How you view the church? Does that describe how you view Christ church, the church that God's called you to be part of for this season? We're not a club. We're not a spiritual group where we just gather to sing spiritual songs. We're not uh, just gathering here so that you know, someone can scratch your back or tickle your fancy, whatever it, it is. We're God's family, the family of God together, which we have the privilege of belonging to. You see, what's for sure is that God wants you joined to a local church that's not just in creed or in, on, on paper, but that in heart you are actually joined to that church. My friends, the church is a, fa a family devoted together to live together and to die together, to worship God together and to serve God together, to do life together. You see, you can have this mindset sometimes, and it does happen. See, when you go to a restaurant, for example, you pay the restaurant, and so you feel at liberty, don't you, to sort of critique, well, what welcome did I receive? How was the food? Was it you know, particularly tasty or bland? Was it up to my liking or not? How were the other guests around? Were they disruptive? Did they take away from your experience, your expectation? And you moan and feel free to moan about anything that doesn't quite meet your expectation of what you are paying for. But when you go to your family's house for dinner one Sunday or Christmas time or something like that, you, you muck in, don't you? 
You get involved. You help with cooking the dinner. You can see the host is busy with that. Someone's at the door. You go and answer the door for them and welcome whoever that person is into, into the house. Even though it's not your own house, you accept the chaos of the children and you help there where you can. You help clear up afterwards and you happily contribute to the needs of that occasion. Which one of those two scenarios describes you best of how you treat church? For God is saying to us afresh this morning, actually it's come through the words this morning, make room in your hearts for God this morning. And biblically and practically speaking, that means make room in your hearts for his church as well. And to some extent, actually, although in this passage obviously it applied to the Apostle Paul and his team, to some extent it applies to us as leaders as well here, as long as we're in line with Scripture. That is, obviously, only in authority when you're under authority. If you're part of us or looking to be part of us this morning, make sure you know what you're joining. You're joining a family, the family of God in a location. We're God's family. Make room in your hearts for the family of God. Now, there are three things before I move on that I just want to highlight that can constrict your heart towards God and his people. They all spring from sin, but there's three different ways that they spring up in our heart. I just want to make this clear before I move on because these things clutter your heart from being able to love God and love his family. Firstly, deliberate sin on your part. That is rebellion. Choosing to walk down a path that you know God has says, no, you shouldn't go down that path. Allowing something in your heart to have a greater priority than God and the things of God. Maybe a sport, maybe a person, maybe your career, maybe, a, uh, maybe your spouse or your children. Repent of those things. Turn away from having that as first in your life. Make, put appropriate measures in place to make sure that God is first so that you don't fall again into it, even though actually at times you will want to because it's your heart's desire, but choose to want to please God more than this other want in your life. So that's the first one. Secondly, distraction. You know the parable of the sower? The, the seed that fell amongst the thorny ground got distracted. That's why it was unfruitful. got distracted by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. It wasn't a deliberate choice. Just over time, this thing in your heart has grown in priority. And God is actually speaking to you about it, even possibly this morning. That, that hobby, that leisure pursuit, that ideology even, has just grown in its importance in your mind. And God is challenging you, saying, prune it back, or even throw it out completely. God is a consuming fire. He will suffer no rivals. So don't have a rival in your heart. Ask for forgiveness, make the necessary changes, and ask for his help as you go forward. And then finally, the third one 
is damage. Damage. Other people's sins, whether it be deliberate or unintentional, they impact you negatively, they hurt you, and they cause you to withdraw emotionally at least, even if not physically. And whilst it's totally, totally appropriate for you to put boundaries, healthy boundaries in place for when someone is deliberately or consistently hurting you and letting you down. And in fact, actually, like in this passage, uh, there may be times for church discipline to be involved here. However, in church life, because we're all sinful and we all make mistakes, there will be other times when you're let down, when by other people, don't let your heart grow cold and withdraw. Let love, the Bible says, let love cover a multitude of sins. For though, uh, and actually as it says in this passage, when Paul is talking about why he partly addressing them, it's to sh- sometimes actually how we respond to damage other people's sins shows actually the earnestness, our own earnestness to please God and to live for him. Do we earnestly pursue love as 1 Peter 4, 8 encourages us to do? Which leads me on to my final point, which is if we're going to do this, if we're going to pursue love and overcome the damage that is done to us, either by our own sin or by other people's sins, then we need to make room in our hearts for godly grief to be there. Because it's a fallen world, as I said. And whilst we're all being transformed, if you're in Christ, you're being transformed from one degree of glory to another, we're becoming more and more like Jesus, we all still sin this side of eternity, whether it be accidentally or deliberately. We all still deliberately sin. Thus, it isn't long before, as you walk along this life, that you are negatively impacted by your own sin or by the sin of somebody else. Therefore, we have to make room in our hearts for godly grief to challenge us so that we repent of it when it's our sin or so that we forgive others when it is their sin. Who here has seen the film Inside Out? Has anyone seen the film Inside Out? Yeah, lots of people. It's got the, uh, the lady, uh, the girl, Riley, in it. Now, this film is, um, is really cleverly produced because it, 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 you see the life of Riley who moves house and she has to go through all this, you know, di- these difficulties through the life of five core emotions that live inside her head. And actually, the core emotions that every one of us has. Who can remember a core emotion? Nathaniel. Anger, yes. Okay, you can have... Oh, too far. You have to get that off Mark. Uh, Josiah. Disgust. Disgust. Are you looking at my notes? Uh, Jacob. Fear, Fear. yes. Oh, throwing is terrible. Uh, There's some people over here. Yes, sorry, Sam. Happiness, joy. Joy, yes, you can have that one. Okay, and right at the back there, Sam Lacey. Sadness, yes. Hey! Great. Actually, the film had a lot of input by psychologists because they were trying to help uh, uh, people realise, particularly in our culture at the moment, 
that there is space needed for sadness to occur in people's emotional state. You know, people are always trying to, no, I've got to be happy, got to do this, got to be exciting. There is space needed in your life for that, for when things are difficult, for when things aren't what you expected, when there's a, a sense of loss, when there is loss in your life. And you need space to be sad and to grieve over these things. And of course, you say, oh yes, of course, that's just obvious, Sigh. But do you know, Many Christians have this sort of warped view of sadness in their lives. They have this warped view of it. That, oh no, if I trust in a sovereign God, then I can't be sad. Life can't be difficult. Life can't be hard. It has to be good. And you know, that's absolute rubbish. God himself is sad and grieves at points in Scripture. You see it at several points. Jesus lamented over Jerusalem as he approached it. He wept over Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead moments later. He was greatly troubled in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Apostle Paul in this passage is full of emotion. So we too can grieve. We too can lament. We too can be greatly troubled and full of emotion. Some of them not always happy and pleasant emotions, in the, and particularly when it pertains to the things of God, when you've been let down or things aren't quite what you expected in the things of God. Do you know the British stiff upper lip that is there? Nothing affects me. We just carry on with sort of this stoic type philosophy. It isn't right. It's not biblical. The Bible says it commands us to grieve with those who grieve. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Romans 12, 15. Tom Wright, writing on this passage, says this. What is your, what, sorry, what is your image of what a successful Christian looks like? Do you have in the back of your mind a picture of a person who goes through life in perfect faith, trust and obedience to God in everything? They're never afraid of what may lie around in wait, lie in wait around the next corner, always rejoicing in, in adversity. And he says this, Come with Paul as he struggles along the road, exhausted and emotionally drained after his terrible experience in Ephesus. So this is a bit more like how you and I feel, isn't it, sometimes? With every step of the way, he was praying and hoping, but with a constant tussle against fears that welled up on the inside and opposition that was around him. Grief in this world is part of life, my friends. It's, it's not a pleasant part of life. But it's not necessarily positive or negative. It's neutral. It's what you do with it that impacts that. Godly grief is when you feel something and that leads you to throw yourself on God, to cling to him, to, uh, to say sorry to him and repent before him if, uh, if that be necessary. And that is actually, although not pleasant, is a positive thing to happen to you. This passage makes clear. Worldly grief leads you away from God. When the Holy Spirit stirs up sadness in your heart, 
or grief because of sin. It's so that you repent and that you turn to God, and that's a positive thing. Cruz, in his book on this passage, says, Worldly grief does not progress beyond remorse. You just feel bad about it. There are, many, there are deep regrets over what has happened, but there is no accompanying change of mind or heart, nor any willingness to change your behavior, nor any faith in God. And I would actually add to that as well, that it's not even necessarily from God that you feel that. It could just be your own worldly desires that have not been fulfilled. So when you feel grief and sadness over thoughts, words, actions that you have done, bring yourself to God. Allow yourself to feel that and bring it to God. If it's the Holy Spirit convicting you of something, and if it's him convicting, it's usually something specific, not this vague stuff, it's specific. Repent. Turn to him. If it's due to your desire being worldly and out of line with God, again, say sorry for that and ask him to change your heart's desires to be more in line with him. If the grief is caused by somebody else's sin, something else they've done, bring that to God. Allow time in your heart to the Holy Spirit to comfort you. Ask him to give you the strength to forgive that person and let love flow so that your heart can remain wide open to God and his people. Remembering that godly grief produces not only zeal, but sometimes punishment as well, of the wrongdoing. In this case, in, in 2 Corinthians, it led to church discipline and Paul's severe letter, which he had no joy in writing. He almost regretted doing it, verse 8 makes clear, but it was necessary. And actually, church discipline is necessary from time to time. When in your life groups this week, you're going to look at that, that a little bit more in the notes. But thankfully, in this passage, discipline resulted in repentance here. And not only repentance of the person, because he says, I'm not, writing for, not really writing so much for the person that was wronged or the person uh, that did the, uh, the, wrong, the, 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 did the wrongdoing. It's because it's the corporate response as well to it. It's your response when you're uh, affected as well in this situation. Verse 9 makes clear. It's the aim of godly discipline, although not pleasant, is to bring us closer to God, is to bring us to become more godly, is to help us become more Christ-like. Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11, make that clear to us as well. And so you'll look at that more in your life groups this week. So, my friends, make room in your heart for God and his people today, which by default, in a fallen world that we live in, means you have to make room in your heart for godly grief to occur from time to time to time. Amen? Amen. I'm going to let, bring the band back up now. Whilst the band is coming up, I'm just going to pray because we need the Holy Spirit's help in this. And I'm aware that actually as I've been speaking, he would have been challenging some of you. 
So can I just invite you to stand, actually, and if you feel comfortable, if you can, uh, if not, just to, in your heart, be attentive before God. Can I invite you to put your hands out in front of you as well, if you feel comfortable, just as a sign of surrender to God, again, if you feel comfortable doing that. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here this morning. Thank you that you love us, Lord God. Lord, we sung before we started uh, my preach, Lord, we'll make room, Lord, Spirit, move. Lord, would you move in our hearts afresh this morning? Each person here, Lord God, I pray, move in their hearts, Lord God. Will they make room in your hearts for God right now? Father, thank you that you come and you reveal to us if there's any uh, sin, if there's any wicked way in our life, Lord. And I pray you would do that. Lord, for those people who have been treating church just like a restaurant that they pay for rather than a family that they belong to. Lord God, I, I pray you just cause them to deal with that right now. Just if that's you, just deal with that before God. He's loving. He's raised it because he wants you to change. He wants, to, he wants you to love him and love his people like he loves them. You're called to be part of the family, part of the family here. As I've been speaking as well, actually, if the Holy Spirit's just been challenging you afresh, just of, of damage that has been done to you by other people, that you're struggling to walk in that freedom, you realize, actually, yes, that's caused me to withdraw. That's caused me to step back a little from, uh, from things at church, from, from God himself. And you want someone to help you. I'm just as we come to sing this song we've cleared a space here can I invite you to come there's no shame in that to come to the front left over here and life group leaders or the ministry team will be here to pray for you just to say that if someone comes wearing a mask there's masks down at the front please pray with them uh, putting the mask on just out of respect uh, for them there but if you're struggling you know actually yes you you have been affected by other people's sin in your life, are they intentional and unintentional? And it's causing you to walk with a limp. Just let someone come and pray alongside you this morning. Holy Spirit, move. We'll make room, Lord. Do whatever you want to do in our hearts, Lord. Help us to make room. Help us to be a people that make room for you this morning, Lord God. And every day, Lord God, help us to allow time, Lord God, not to... To, to be people that are unrealistic, super spiritual Christians, Lord God, but allow you to comfort us when we're grieving, Lord God, to work through that grief so that we can continue to genuinely love you and your people, Lord God. Holy Spirit, move. Father, thank you. You love every person here, Lord God. You know what they're going through. You know their needs. So meet with them, I pray, in Jesus' name. I invite you to come if you want someone to just stand alongside you and pray. If there's areas you know you're struggling with, don't struggle alone. We're a family together. There'll be people here to pray for you.